This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is a, uh, well, I'm not going to say it's a football Friday. This is not entirely a football Friday, of course. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche had a smashing success in their season uh, home opener. Of course, they'd already won three on the road, but we'll get to the Broncos as well as we go along in the program, as, as well as a little bit with the Denver Nuggets, who wrapped up their preseason. Sean Keeler of the Denver Post will join us in about an hour. But the Avalanche take on the Blackhawks at home, and like we suggested, look like the better team doing what the better team does at home and and winning this game 4 to 0 you know it, maybe it took a little bit to get that uh to get things really going as they had hoped but they they came out uh, outstanding performance looked great the avalanche in that 4 to 0 there's a little symmetry to that sandy they've played four games they've allowed a total of four goals didn't allow any last night 14th career shutout for Georgiev and the last 15 shots on goal of the first period 22 I believe I don't know if it was 22 or 23 officially I've read two different figures but in any case the last 15 shots on goal in the yeah. period were from the avalanche you don't see that very often and I know the Hawks they caught a scheduling break first of all but the Hawks one aren't very good but more importantly number two they're in the fifth game of a season opening five game road trip. And you could tell after the first period, they were ready to head for the bus, get on the air uh, airplane and, and fly back home. They, they were done. They had no legs, but the ads were splendid. And I thought it was, you know, it was the fast, aggressive, relentless kind of avalanche attack that we saw in the first game against the Kings. Maybe not so much, Uh, Although they had a lot of shots in San Jose, certainly not anywhere close to the type of game they played in Seattle, even though they won that one 4-1. And listen, when uh, the Hawks did put pressure on, Georgiev was there. He's obviously a hot goaltender. I don't expect him to sustain quite this kind Uh, of form uh, by any means. But, you know, the remarkable thing about the game to me there were only five hits in the game. It was almost a no-hitter. Three hits by the Avalanche, two hits by the Blackhawks, a game devoid of any degree of physicality whatsoever, uh, only 14 penalty minutes, eight taken by the Avalanche, and uh, the Avs were basically 53 to 47% on face-offs last night. Is the first time all year I thought everybody played well, and even though... Bednar did some line mixing. Mm-hmm. I thought even that worked out well. Uh, to tar up on the first line with McKinnon and Rantanen for the last two periods, had a couple of assists, played a little more than he played in the previous three games, and drew in on the third line, I thought played well, and yes, he lost an assist when they were uh, a centimeter offside on a on a goal that was really the prettiest of the night. It was. I thought that they, they lost it and they were offside. And there are assists but, and there are assists. That was, this a was great the latter pass one. by Drouin. Elite pass. And Absolutely. He seemed more offensive minded playing mm-hmm. on a checking line. He did. Which maybe is kind of what Bednar had in mind. You you put him on a line with Colton and Wood who aren't nearly as gifted offensively, of course, as McKinnon and Rantanen, 
and he won't defer as much. He'll assert himself. And an assist like that is as good as a shot and a goal to me. That's yes. a, that, that The pass is much better than any goal could have been. And, I, again, I thought you, you go up and down the lineup. Everybody played well. You got a, a shorthanded goal from O'Connor. Yeah, you know uh, what? Again, you know, amazing. We actually, uh, and think about this, because I, I got a little bit of history with that when you're talking about Logan O'Connor. sounded a little bit like this. Donato turns it over far side, and Colorado looking to break. Here's the opportunity. Short-handed score! Logan O'Connor! Has the avalanche up first, one nothing. Mm-hmm. Steve Levy on the call with ESPN. That made O'Connor, by the way, you don't see this very often. It's been more than 10 years. The first avalanche player to tally shorthanded goals since in Landis back-to-back Gog. games yeah. since Landis Gog back in March of 2013. Right. So, I mean. When the avalanche were not certainly the avalanche team we see now. No. But, but you're talking about, we, we've talked a little about Logan O'Connor this week anyway. But if that comes from. Miko Rantanen or Nathan McKinnon or even Lekkonen or Nachushkin. Uh, it's somewhat expected given the production, given the fact you're talking about your top two. But when it comes from a, a guy like Logan O'Connor in back-to-back games, it just illustrates the depth and the potential scoring depth and skating depth that this team has when it's entirely well, he's healthy. he's a great skater. Uh, I, I, I've been surprised on the shorthanded goals. He's beaten two goaltenders who are pretty good goaltenders. Mrazek did not well. look bad he last night. He didn't look bad. I mean, he made, what, 37 saves? Uh, and, of course, it was Grubauer the other night. But he showed some dexterity on the shot. I mean, he, he gets his fair share of shorthanded opportunities. But uh, the fact that he's finished them off uh, leaves them uh, without having allowed this year a power play goal and scored two shorties. They have as many shorthanded goals as they have power play goals for the season through four games, which is kind of remarkable. 17 for 17 on the kill. Yeah. And two shorties thrown in. Yeah. You're and, plus and two, two power play goals. You're plus two shorthanded on the yeah. season. Yeah. Well, and, wow. and on the power play, they have two power play goals. They got yeah. one last night. Uh, they, they scored uh, just about in every way you can. Uh, shorthanded goal, power play goal, uh, even strength goal. Uh, they were terrific, and, and, and there's a very interesting piece in The Athletic today written from the Chicago point of view, and I don't know that we've made enough of a point of this down through the years, but certainly uh, this particular piece talked about how there was a time when the avalanche, oh, about March of 2013, looked up to the Blackhawks. So that's how we want to play. Right. We need players like Taves and Kane and uh, Duncan Keith. And, uh, and we need to play the way they play. We need to be like right. them. It's amazing how that's much that overall. And, of course. And now the Blackhawks say publicly we want to be the avalanche. The avalanche. Oh, and by the way, over on that ESPN broadcast, they – panel that they had there took a look at Patrick Kane and suggested the only team that actually made sense for him to join if and when well, healthy might be the Colorado yeah, Avalanche. The, 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 now, avalanche the, the funny thing is that a couple oh, months sorry. ago that was a discussion. 
Now yeah, I think with now the additions they've, used they've made, yeah, well, they've it, used and I don't know if there's a need. Well, I don't given, either. given the injury I, history, I don't given I love the Patrick age. Kane. But uh, you don't know. You first of all, you have he's not going to be ready to play until uh, December at the earliest. You don't know how he's going to look. Um, if he is signed by somebody, it it won't be in 2023. It'll be sometime in 2024 if there's an injury or a need develops, and certainly. You can look at the Avalanche as a, a, a team that uh, would fit Patrick Kane. Whether right. Patrick Kane fits the Avalanche, that's a different question. And if they're playing as well as they are right now and they don't have injuries, um, you know, devastating injuries right. that keep people out for weeks on end, then the, I, I don't know that there's a need Um Buffalo certainly would have a need. That's his hometown. Um, you know, he's going to have choices. It, it, it's not like out of 32 teams in the NHL, only one or two. But you be you look at the Avs now, you know, Tomas Tatar has three points in four games. I'll assist, but whatever. That's why they call him points. Three points in four games. He's been good. We talked about O'Connor. I think we really think the addition of Miles Wood has been eventful. Uh, Ross Colton only has the the one assist, but I think he's looked really good. Well, uh, Kane's not a center anyway. Right. And and do you look at a, a guy, but I mean, even where, where do you put him? Because at this well, point, Kane uh, is a scorer. No, but, but and, Callahan's point was, oh, you put him on the power play. Can you imagine their power play with Kane on it? Well, I don't know where you put him on the power play, though. He doesn't take face-offs. Right. Uh, Johansson is out there only to win face-offs. And he's doing it. And he's doing it, and he scored a goal last night. And a, and a gritty one at that. Yeah, the kind of gritty yeah. goal that the Avs yeah. sometimes big, aren't known for. Goal. Big, Big guy, guy standing goal. next to that, just you know, yep. chopping at it until it goes in. Uh, and, but and that's a great yes. play for them. And and so you look at at the wingers. I I don't know where you put them. You're Drew not going to put them on guess. a third line or a fourth line. And but second yeah, line, a third line, are you going to put them ahead of Lekkinen? No. Or Nishushkin? No. Uh, you're going to put them ahead of Rantanen? Uh, of course not. Uh, you know. Now, if <laughs> if I guess you put them on the first line, uh, if uh, Joanne slumps or isn't playing well. Now, he doesn't have a lot of points. I'm sure he has one point, I think, in four games. Yes, but he should have had well. another one. He played well. I think he's played well. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's been remarkable, but I think given the, the disaster of the year he had last year, I think that things are, are pointing up. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're, you're finding yourself, if you're the Avs, it, in a great position because it wasn't that long ago, even in the summer, where they are thinking, well, you know, Patrick Kane might be what they need because they need – some some. Depth. I thought that last year they need depth scoring. They need, but I see. I don't know that they do now because the the guys that they have not only are already getting the job done, but they fit. They fit. Well, Tatar and Wood and Colton have all been perfect plugins. Johansson at this point, perfect. Uh, the Joanna thing is an experiment, but that's okay because Patrick Kane would be, and he's not available anyway. Well, listen, if it were Patrick Kane in his prime, and he's coming off that kind of surgery, well, yeah. Of course, but he's not a 20 to 23, 24 minute a game player anymore. He's not. He's a 15, 16 minute a game guy at most who helps your power play. Maybe the Rangers. And he'll be 35 next month. And he flopped. And he didn't work. It didn't work. He flopped, at least in the playoffs. Now he's playing on one leg. I get it. But I want to see him now well into his 30s. I want to see him. Before I'm interested, well, how on earth do you accomplish that? Right. And 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 your point is 
is is I think the most interesting one. Is you it a see good him fit? when he plays. If you're Patrick Kane, you're thinking the Avalanche look like a good fit. If you're the Avalanche, we're four and zero. Oh, we have a goals against of one. Yeah. What do we need? We're good. But it, that's the point. It's not Patrick Kane that we remember from those three Stanley Cup no. championship teams in 10, 13, and that's and 15. No disrespect. You know, no, Father Time's undefeated. But he's not. He's a. He's hurt. Uh, he's coming off serious surgery. He won't be available this year, uh, the 23 portion of the 23-24 season. He won't be available until January. And he he's a 15, 16-minute-a-game guy at best. Uh, how do you jam him in? Who sits? Now, again, if you have a rash of injuries and, you know, you're saying, well, I'll take a flyer on him, I guess. But I don't see it. You know what's interesting, though? I did go back and look at basically the eight-year run of the Blackhawks okay. when they won three Stanley Cups over a six-year period. But the next two years after they won their third cup, they were pretty good, even though they lost in the first round of the playoffs both years. And then I looked at the Avalanche going back to their first playoff year, basically, after years and years other than 13 and 14 of missing the playoffs, 13, 14, one year, when they won 52 games, Patrick was first year. So it's not quite apples to apples because I'm talking about eight years of a three-time Stanley Cup champion compared to this being the seventh year for a team that's only won one cup. Guess what the winning percentages are, though? Hmm. Over eight years for the Blackhawks, I'm guessing pretty similar. Over the Avalanche's run since uh, the start of the 17-18 season, 643. Scarcely a difference. Yeah. So the Blackhawks people who are still around and trying to rebuild this thing, and there really aren't too many of those people around, but people on the staff in the inside the organization remember how they used to play now they look at the avalanche as the gold standard yeah I mean, as do a lot of teams in the nhl give, by the way give by the way uh chris mcfarland and jared bednar a ton of credit because okay you got the same goaltender who appears to still be on the rise you had the same uh, all your defensive pairings are holdovers but on your forward lines not only is has every single line added a new member. The third line is completely new members. But think about it the Even other way. Even with Duran on the line. Think about it this way. Members. Of course, that's 12 skaters. Six of them are new to the team. Yeah. It looks yeah. like they've been here forever already. Yeah, the chemistry is excellent on all the lines. And it, I thought fully half of the listen, forward lines are new. The fourth line, the, the look at the way that Bednar, with a fully healthy team, distributes the minutes. Nobody played 20 minutes right. among the forwards last night, and only Cogliano was six seconds short of playing double-figure minutes. Yeah. He played 9.54. Okay. Olofsson, fourth-line center, 13.41. O'Connor, 12 minutes. Wood on the third line, left wing, 12.44. Colton, 12.54. Drouin. 14-14. Now, he played the first period with the first line. That's why his minutes are up a little bit. Nishushkin on the second line, 15-56. Johansson, 14-38. Lekkonen, 
not 20. Uh, first line, Tatar, 1307. Again, played the first period on the third line. McKinnon, 1937, not 20. And Ranton in 1845. Ratnan hasn't even played 19 minutes in either of the last two games. Not even close to 19 hasn't minutes. Hasn't stopped his production any. Of course, he had two assists. short last night. But, uh, you know, he had he had an assist last night. Uh, Ratnan, Tatar had two assists last night. Uh, McKinnon had a goal yeah. and was flying again. Oh, you he were, you like were worried You were worried about him being a little ill and under the weather. Well, the other night. Seattle. Uh, but you're talking about he a guy was, that was flying. Yeah, he, was he flying had that goal. Night. Here's what it sounded like. Johnson leaves there for McKinnon. Rips one through. Stopped by Morazic. Lost it momentarily. And the Avs couldn't jump on the rebound. You're right, Ray. McKinnon sniffing for one. Here's a chance shot. He scores! <laughs> right on, Ray. Nathan McKinnon. Make it 4 nothing, Colorado. You priced Ray Ferraro earlier this week as being one of the best uh, analysts is. in the game. He's well, well, you he's know down on the ice. You he know it's good when it. you can do it about uh, 10 seconds prior. Said, well, yeah. McKinnon's one of those guys you can, you can feel you it. You can feel the it. The pressure coming. is almost palpable. Uh, McDavid, you can do that with. All, yeah, he looked totally back I, I don't know that there are any other players in the NHL. Guy Lafleur used to be able to do it. You, you could tell. Sidney Crosby used to be able to do it. Right, yeah. Right. Gretzky, strangely enough, I know he scored a ton of goals. But he was first. A lot of those were quick passer. Yeah. You a know, lot of his he, were he, quick he, strike, just, right. you know, wristers one time. did not have a great shot. McKinnon mm-hmm. has a great shot. McDavid has a great shot. And you, you can see the goals coming before they actually are scored with those two guys. And it's very unusual. It, it, that's generational stuff. I mean, you're a generational talent. If, if somebody can sense, even an expert such as Ray Ferraro it isn't, calling for goals seconds before they're actually scored. No, you But in it. this case, he did, and you could feel it. And, uh, you know, McKinnon didn't do much statistically in Seattle. Uh, but last night, I I thought he was back. He, he looked, mean, he looked whatever. back. And I'm, I, I, I don't know for a fact that he was sick. Well, but exactly he didn't look he good. But he, he didn't look he, good. He looked slow. And on the bench, he's got his head he, yeah, down he was really for 10 or 15 seconds. Over. They have it. They're showing the shot on TV. Nobody commented on it. Yeah, he just didn't look he's, like he's himself. Getting, it looked like he was getting but sick. Who knows? You know, you get a little. Uh, but, but any case, looks fine he, now. He was he was great. Uh, and just because again, we're keeping an eye on it, by the way, uh, again for another game, Valerian Nachushkin, his uh pass his pass to yeah. Taves was fantastic. Yeah, another situation where using that big frame, getting right in front of the net, yeah. and then creating for a teammate. Well, you know, I <laughs> I went back. Just because I was curious, uh, the Avalanche now thirty-five, seven, and four in their last forty-six regular season games. Uh, Georgiev over good. a similar stretch, twenty-eight, five, and three in his last thirty-six. A couple things I went back and checked on today. Remember the game in Vancouver last year when he threw the tantrum? We talked about that yeah. the other day. Yeah. Did you realize yeah, I had forgotten this? It wasn't the next three games, but a three-game stretch where he got benched. He got benched. Mm-hmm. Francois played in all three games. Well, Gurria was in a, three of the a last streak games of, of five played. games in a row he lost. Well, yeah. He but, hasn't but lost more he, than two since. He, he wasn't benched because of performance. He was no. benched because he threw, threw a, a tantrum. And it was one of those little moves that someone like Bednar makes and nobody pays any attention to it. 
but I thought it was the, the move that really turned Georgiev around uh, with his teammates. Certainly uh, seems he, to be. You know, you play 36 games like he's played the last 36, uh, your teammates are going to respect you. I looked at the Seattle series, and it was more or less as I had remembered it. But you know what? Once they lost Nashushkin, yeah, they went ahead two games to one in Seattle. I, I think the day, it wasn't a game three, was the day he was ushered out of the city, <laughs> I believe. They did win that game 6-4 without him. But from there on, two goals, two goals, four goals, and one goal in the last four games of the series. They actually outscored Seattle in the series 19-18. to 18. So you can't say that Georgiev was bad. But here was the point, and I had forgotten all about this. The Abs are up two games to one. They're playing game four in Seattle. They're down 2 nothing. They come back and tie 2-2. They're in overtime. And Georgiev has stopped 40 out of 42 shots. And a 43rd shot goes in to beat him 3-2. That was the game he almost stole it from. But they lost in overtime, and Grubauer was in games five and seven, virtually unbeatable. That was the series right there, the game four overtime loss after they've been down 2 nothing in regulation. As they're putting up a league-high 39.5 shots per game, uh, that sort of unintended avalanche of shots is going to be hard for any team to overcome, especially when Georgiev is playing the way he does. The Avs will be back at it tomorrow night when the Hurricanes come to town. That'll be a 7 o'clock puck drop. Trade me or don't. We've heard athletes say that before. Denver Broncos. Maybe you trade me. Yeah, well, um, Broncos. Part of the problem is they do play Jerry Judy. They do. Uh, We'll hear a little bit from Jerry Judy and what it might mean next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Yeah, I, I, I block all that out, man. Yeah, I ain't got, I don't got, I know how my coaches feel about me. I know how my teammates feel about me. You know, all these people that got some, their opinions are outsiders that has never been in the locker room, never seen me practice, never seen how, how this really operates. So everybody that's outside is, is, I just ignore them because they don't know what really be going on for real. You've been hearing about trade rumors for about a year now, right? Off season? Yeah, about two years. <laughs> How does it affect you? It's got to affect you some. Uh, it don't affect me at all because at the end of the day, I'm still going to be the player that I am. I know what I could do and I know what I'm capable of. So trade me or, tr- trade me or not trade me, it don't matter because at the end of the day, I'm going to still be me. From the locker room earlier this week, that is Jerry Judy. You heard Mike Pliss, of course, uh, ask that question. Jerry Judy, Sandy, is, I'll just set the scene here, the Broncos' number three leading receiver in yardage. But when it comes to the five wide receivers, and we talked about the logjam earlier, there are five wide receivers on the team that have caught passes. It's not a huge logjam. Jerry Judy's the only one that doesn't have a touchdown. Corlin Sutton has four. Brandon Johnson has three. Marvin Mims has one, and so does Lil Jordan Humphrey, who was cut and then now is brought back. But all of them have more touchdown catches than Jerry Judy. 
who is having a not a not a bad season, a disastrous season, and instead of perhaps looking inward, has decided to not only look outward but get to the get to the old standby of trade me or don't, whatever, I don't care. Uh, usually the answer to that for the team is okay. We'll call your bluff. Well, <laughs> uh, I agree with uh, my friend Mark Swarov that uh, Mike Shanahan would have cut him on Friday. Uh, I would have cut him um, a week ago, the day after that game. I guess at this point, if all you're going to get is a sixth rounder, it's not that much difference. Well, I don't don't know what you get for him. Maybe you get more than that. Maybe you wouldn't. I I have no idea. What I do know is this. If you want to know about not only the person, but two people who made Jerry Judy, watch Sunday Night Football this week. They'll be on the field. Tua and Jalen Hurts were the two guys who made Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy is an ordinary receiver who is made to look great by two of the greatest Alabama quarterbacks of all time. I didn't say the two greatest, but two of the greatest. And they kind of took turns. Uh, They won a national championship when Nick Saban turned from Jalen Hurts to Tua in the second half. But their most valuable player, if you watch those teams, and I did, their most valuable player was not Jerry Judy. It was not Henry Ruggs, although they were the first two receivers taken in the draft. I wouldn't even argue it was the quarterbacks, quite frankly. I'd argue that was Najee Harris, who was their best offensive player. I I don't know. Two of Hurts are pretty good. They were pretty good. Uh, and Alabama had time. Al- Alabama was some, churning out some running ability backs. there. Yeah, they were churning out running backs. They had a great offensive line. Um, the, but those two guys made Jerry Judy. Uh, Jerry Judy no in the NFL for Mac Jones. has has done nothing. Well, Mac Jones really was there after Judy had had, had gone and they started twelve. He started the most games that that final year they were there. The final year. 12 yeah. to take, but you know, nine. No, but, yeah. I mean, and Mac Jones was fine uh, at Alabama, but he benefited from uh, the people around him, too. Jerry Judy is a dependent player who doesn't play hard. And, you know, it, if Jerry Judy had been smart from the beginning, he would have sought the counsel of Rod Smith from the beginning and kept Rod Smith as close as he could. Rod Smith is more than willing to help out young receivers. But Jerry Judy isn't seeing a similarity between a guy picked in the first round and a guy that wasn't picked at all. Right. Judy, by the way, worth noting in that the last year, he had the benefit of never being double teamed because there was that Devonta Smith guy who actually, by the way, caught more passes, more yards and touchdowns. Well, yeah. So uh, that's part of the equation too. But you talk about, the dependent position nature of the quarterback of the wide receiver role. Well, Jerry Judy mentioned that as well. It's a little different if you and I do it though, because um, the guys who might not be blocking the best or make throwing the best passes, they're not sitting in. They, they don't spend their time in the same room. They do with Jerry Judy. Uh, you know, it, it's always frustrating losing. You know, nobody want to lose. You feel me? Losing is the the worst possible thing that could happen. You know, so that's that's very frustrating. And I mean. As a receiver, you know you got. It's a lot of people you got to depend on. So, you, you could you could be open, but if the the, the line don't do their thing, the quarterback didn't do the job, the OC don't put you in. It's a it's a whole lot of stuff that we got to go through as receiver to be successful. So I can't really just 
At the end of the day, I got to do what I what I do at the end of the day. People can say, oh, look at the stats, look at this, look at that. But at the end, of, the eye in the sky don't lie. So that's what it is. What did the eye in the sky show of uh, the last game for you? Um, I think that's what y'all need to go do. Go watch the film instead of go watch it, looking at the stats. Go watch the film and see what it do. Our former colleague Andrew Mason on that uh, yeah. last question. Uh, well, Great question. Here's the thing. That's exactly the I didn't question, have to yes. wait for Jerry Judy because I've been actually watching those coaches' films yeah. every week. And for the last few weeks, Jerry Judy has been either rounding off routes, kind of jogging through them, or just failing mm-hmm. to get open. And I've talked about this before. There's so much blame to go around. Russell Wilson has not been good. At the same time, you go watch that same film, and if I'm Russell Wilson, I'm going, who is open that I can throw to? And the answer most of the time is nobody. He's just, uh, you know. But you don't hear Russell Wilson saying, my receivers can't get open. No, no, no. And listen, that's all boulder dash. There's worse things than losing Jerry Judy. One is your team giving up on you. He's full of it. Uh, First of all, people do watch him, and they see him dogging. He's dogging. I mean, he's Steve Smith, dogging prior to it. That's <laughs> the story. That's it. He's dogging it. And when you watch him trot through his routes, Mark had a great line the other day. He said, it gives trotting a bad name. He's not even trotting through his routes. He is not putting out. And he is a cancer. That they need to remove. At a certain point, when you when you are calling out your teammates and saying, uh, you know, there's that. I will say this: Jerry Judy and Sean Payton have the same style of deflection. Uh, Sean Payton will start a post game interview with the press by saying, "Well, it's uh, it's on me. I have to do better. We have to do better," and then go into how all the players did everything wrong in sequence. Jerry Judy basically just did the same thing in reverse. Well, the offensive line didn't block. They have to get me the passes. The OC didn't do very well. But I have to focus on doing my thing. It's the exact same thing Sean Payton does. It's just flipped. But it it loses respect equally. And we'll have Sean Keeler on from the Never Post in a little bit as well. But I think when you're looking at, at how your team believes in you, whether you're a coach or whether you're a player, the people... It's taking it on yourself. The people criticizing him. I, I, was, I was laughing, uh, not from that last bite, from the one before, where he started, you could tell, he started to go down the route that people who knock me don't know don't, the game. Oh, I, I, my, didn't my play favorite. it. My favorite. Didn't play it. The people knocking him the most did are These sensational five players. They're sensational players. Five Pro Bowls. They're not stiffs who barely made a roster. They're borderline Hall of Famers who, yes, played the game. Played the game a hell of a lot better than you played the game. They're the ones who are being hard on you. And when Steve Smith does what any good reporter does and goes up to Jerry Judy after he's criticized him, and gives him a chance to and gives him a back. chance to vent. This fool thinks that's an insult. That's exactly what a reporter should do. Is there something you want to say? It's back? something that I did. That's something that I've done. Even when I was a kid, I knew enough to do that. 
because the people who were mentoring me told me I had to. They said, you go on the air, you say whatever you want in terms of criticism about the player, but you better be around the next day. So that player, and that was back in a day when people did listen to shows like this. They did read the paper. The players did, they right? Knew, yes. And, and, and they did it not because they were paranoid. They did it because they were sports fans. And we all had relationships. They didn't like everything I said, but they had a chance to go back at me. Coaches, same thing, especially with coaches. You'd, you'd be there the next day but so Steve they Smith could take their the shots. Shot. Basically, immediately. But, but, but Steve Smith goes up to him, and Jerry Judy acts like that's an insult. Right. No, that's what a professional does. He was giving a you a chance to push back. Right. He's giving you a chance to push back. And you insult him. You you can yell at him. He was ready for that. That wasn't the problem. The problem is you thought that was insulting. He was better off leaving you alone. Yeah. That somehow just, you know. Or coming up and saying, I'm not going to listen to a word you say. You stink. Right. And then turning and running right. away. That's insulting. That's insulting. That's just the opposite of what he actually did. This is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And, and Steve Smith went way. on, by the way, to say uh, a little bit later that he, he said if someone were to ask, I don't have that sound, but if someone were to ask him, should we trade for Jerry Judy? Steve Smith said, I would say no. No, because he's, not he's capable. a cancer. Well, and he said even simpler, he is not, he is not capable of handling constructive criticism. Well, it, it, and it, I don't know if Steve's was totally it, constructive. It, but I, I mean, I constructive or otherwise, he's totally unaware of how he presents himself and the stuff he's gotten himself into off the field. He, he's first of all, he's a major social media guy. And I, I know that here and there they begged him. I mean, begged him to get off social media and he won't do it. He won't do it. Well, the Broncos. So he is to me without anywhere near the talent. He is the John Morant of the National Football League. Fortunately, That's who he is. Fortunately, it's you know not quite as uh as not, not quite as dangerous, but certainly as tone without death. the talent. Oh, I listen. Uh, I'm not sure it isn't dangerous. I'm not sure this guy doesn't have real problems. Well, we'll find out what the Broncos do, but you know, but you can't have him on your team. You can't. Have it, it, it feels like it's time to go, and you know it's time to go because who who's the Broncos' biggest cheer there? We know who that is. Say you even had a nickname for him. That's one Russell Wilson, who who had, can't say a bad thing about the Sultan anybody. of sugarcoating. Now, Russell Wilson didn't say anything bad about Jerry Judy, but when we get back, you'll notice a slight difference in his tone when asked about him. We'll get to that next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. 
on Mile High Sports. Jerry and I are really close, you know, um, we have a really good relationship. I, I think the thing with Jerry um, is well, he's one of the most talented guys in this league. We believe in him. Um, I believe in him. I, I believe that he's he, he can do some really special things for us. We want him to get the ball every time he touches it. Uh, he can score. Um, that's the great thing about him. He works his butt off every day. Um, and, and he's going to have a, a, a you know breakout part the rest of the year, I believe. You know, and just take one game at a time, one practice at a time. He had a great practice today. He made some sweet plays today. So I'm really excited about his mentality right now, even though uh, I know that, you know, every every great receiver wants the ball. That's, that's always the case. And uh, he should he should get it as much as we possibly can get it to him. So um, he'll, he'll do his thing and he'll be ready to rock this week. Russell Wilson talking about Jerry Judy, and in, in Russell Wilson's case here, look, we've we've heard Russell Wilson for a year and a half now, Sandy, and as you called him, the Sultan of Sugarcoating. This is not normally what Russell Wilson sounds like when he's actually pitching something. Didn't have his heart in it, did he? Didn't feel like it. Didn't sound like it. And normally the body language is different. He's just kind of, he's not animated. You couldn't see, but he's not animated. He's just sort of kind of bobbing from side yeah. to side. His head is down. You can hear him almost monotone. Even if even Russell Wilson can't sell it, you got a problem. Here's the thing, and he 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 said this at one point. Every receiver wants the ball. Every receiver thinks they're open all the time, and that, that's one of those bromides, cliches that makes its rounds. But NFL receivers, professional receivers, know. That just being open isn't the issue. You need to be open at the right time. And I made this point several months ago, yeah. and I, I don't know if I can explain it any better now. But on any given play, let's say he's the primary receiver. I'll make it simple. He's the primary receiver. He's the first guy in the progression. Well, if you look at him, as the first guy in the progression, he's not open. It doesn't matter if a second or two later he's open, you're on to the next progression. It doesn't matter if he's the third progression that he's open right off the line of scrimmage. You, Everything is timing. It's timing that's coordinated between the quarterback and the receiver according to the steps taken by the quarterback in his drop back or out of the shotgun, the progression and the timing of various routes depends on your being open at a specific time. Just saying like you're on the sandlot, hey, I was open. Well, you weren't open at the right time. So Jerry Judy's reputation as a route runner okay, he's open, but the fact that he doesn't understand that you have to be open at the right time still doesn't understand. How many years has he been in the league now? And he still doesn't understand. That being open is not the issue. You have to be open when you're supposed to be. And that's a great point that you you have elaborated on before because it it understands, look, Judy tried the same thing, you know, trying to make it the, the good old, well, you didn't play, so you don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> football is, on one hand, a complicated game. On the other hand, it's not nearly as complicated as people make it out to be. And it is as simple, like you're pointing out, that 
the, the read is we're going to look to the X receiver first and then the Y receiver, the, you know, whatever it's going to be, right? But your point is, is the important one. It means that at a certain time, you have to be open. And Judy does seem, for the most part, to simply run his route the way it is, and he felt, I got open, so you should have thrown me the ball the way that probably many of you listening were in, like, high school or junior high school or peewee or flag or playing, football playing or whatever, on, and go, like, playing on the playground you were a kid. Oh, but when I, but I, was hey, I was open, but the quarterback just wasn't to looking over him. there then. Right, right. right <laughs> he was right. running. Well, uh, but 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 even even that is, the, you know, the, the point there is it that that's not a sophisticated arrangement. No, uh, pro football does involve, and, and even college football. But college football is more, you know, you, your reads are simpler. The coverages aren't as complex. And when you're saying you, Alabama, you, you, you have more time to throw in say, general, too. Hit the open man. And if you're running around, uh, not running around, if you're standing back there for three or four seconds, well, yeah, uh, you'll see a guy break open or make himself available and you'll throw it to him. You'll make an improvisational move. But this, this whole offense, uh, listen. This offense is disjointed. With or without Jerry Judy, this is a disjointed offense. Uh, removing Judy is not going to make them great, uh, but keeping him is basically for a supposedly uh, strict coach who thrives on discipline. Where's Sean Payton in all this? Where's Sean Payton speaking out and saying, Jerry Judy has better things to do with his time pregame. Offensive coach, right? Than yell at Steve Smith, right? He has better things to do. And his criticism that you never played the game, his two biggest critics recently have been Mark Slareth and Steve Smith, who not only played the game, they played the game at a very high level. Smith is Hall of Fame quality. Basically, yeah. You know, said five-time, and, and five-time Pro Bowl or two-time Mark, first-team Mark, All-Pro. Mark made the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Mark has three rings. Mark, Mark has three rings from two different teams. Yeah. Washington and Denver. Knows of which he speaks. So Both both men do. This is this is someone... It, you know what it tells me his reaction to that kind of criticism? I guarantee you can't coach him. I guarantee. And perhaps you what you're hearing from Sean Payton or the lack of what you're hearing with Sean Payton is essentially an admission of that, that it doesn't matter anyway. Over on our text line, of course, I always want you to contribute as well. 303-831-1340, getting a couple of those. Danny Bailey's keeping an eye on them. What do we have, Danny? First one, Judy and Sutton need to go away as both are awful examples and mentors. Well, in, well, di- in yeah, different, yeah. I don't I care if Jerry Judy's a mentor or not. Ways, uh, I mean, I, I think Cortland Sutton's situation is slightly different. Now, I don't think his terrific touchdown catch notwithstanding, I don't know if he's been going full bore all year long either. Well, I, but, don't, but I don't. But I certainly either. think that the the injuries have robbed him of some of the ability. And I think the argument to be made is for the expense, what you're paying Cortland Sutton and what you're getting. I'm not going to go as far as Sean Payton didn't call it a log jam, but the truth of the matter is that Brandon Johnson and Marvin Mims, as a duo, are arguably better from a statistical standpoint than Sutton and Judy have been. And so, yeah, why am I dealing with that? I, I get the argument. All, all, all I know the, is... The, the interesting part is a few weeks ago, the idea that Cortland Sutton would get you more than Jerry Judy 
would have been sort of laughed out. Not that you thought either of them would get you well, all that much, well, but now uh, Judy, I don't know, you'll maybe be lucky to get a sixth. Uh, well, maybe. I, I again, I have no idea, and to me, that's irrelevant. And at you this see, point, can't be on I, the I team. agree. I think you just have can't to move be on. on. The team. You got to get him out. And uh, remember when Emmanuel Sanders got into it, the Cortland Sutton? Yes, a few years ago. Emmanuel Sanders camp. got into it with a few guys in training camp. Emmanuel Sanders was right. <laughs> Emmanuel Sanders was right because Cortland Sutton on one particular play in training camp and practice didn't put out and they got into it and they're, they're both from SMU. They uh, had a good relationship and who knows after that uh, incident, uh, you know, they, they, they probably still had a decent relationship because once it was over, and it did kind of go on and on for a while, but once it was over, it was over. And I don't think Cortland Sutton is a Jerry Judy type. But at the same time, if I had to choose among Emmanuel Sanders, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, on the basis of raw talent, it might be a little bit difficult to distinguish among the three guys. Could be. But. I could look at any one of those three guys or all three together on a practice field and tell you in five minutes who the best player is. And that player would be Emmanuel. And I'm not even sure it's all that close. It is a, a tough spot for the Denver Broncos to be sure the trade deadline happens on Halloween. That's not all that far away. We know that after this game against the Packers, they get the Chiefs again, and then you have a bye week and then the Bills. So the opportunity for the Broncos to make moves, uh, they quite frankly need, much like they got out of Cortland Sutton with that clutch touchdown catch, they need a couple highlight plays from Jerry Judy somehow to maybe goose some sort of trade market because it does feel like the Broncos uh, might like to move on from both almost certainly have to move on, it feels like, from Jerry Judy. Well, football season is well underway, so why bet with the big boys this season? Instead, try your hand with the local book. That's our friends at Superbook Sports. This fall, Superbook Sports is the book next door. They're just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code you can get this one. Mile high. So bet with the best and use promo code mile high this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Of course, we do have the Broncos in our spotlights. And joining us in just a couple of moments from the Denver Post, columnist Sean Keeler will take a look and take a turn in it himself to talk about the Broncos with us right here on Mile High Sports. Everywhere. 